0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester, with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: on friday or thursday night however you want to think of it uh jesus was crucified we call that good friday and then 3 days later is sunday right and that's the what we call in our culture easter sunday it's resurrection day and it corresponds to this because of this and the names the feast of unleavened bread or the passover those cha- those names were used interchangeably. So a lot of times when you're reading in the Bible, you'll see where it talks about the feast of unleavened bread, but really it's 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 Passover.
0: Hi everyone, and welcome to this edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a study on God's review of the Passover to the Jewish nation. As students of the Bible, we know that this celebration is one that tells of the protection and the redemption of the Jews from the bondage of the Egyptian people. This protection and redemption was based on the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb and its blood to save the Jews from death. As Christians, we know the Passover as an early picture of how Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God and was sacrificed to save us from our sin and redeem us from its bondage. Let's join Pastor Rob with this important message.
1: Let's go back to verse 21 in Deuteronomy 15. It says, speaking of this animal, this firstborn, if there is a defect in it, it is, if it's lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You know, God wanted the very best. You know, sometimes when we bring stuff to the Lord, even here, being in the, in the church for as long as I have, you know, there's people, and, and you know what, they mean well, and praise the Lord, you know, there, there's some really sweet things that people have blessed the church with over time, and, and I don't want to minimize that. But sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, a very small portion of the time, somebody will bring junk and they just want to drop it off. This will bless the Lord. This will bless somebody in the church. Well, you know, it doesn't bless anybody. (laughs) You hate to say that because, you know, their heart is right, but their heart is not right in one sense because they're just bringing the thing that nobody wants. Get rid of the beat-up thing and, and just bring it. Somebody will take it, you know, rather than bringing the nice thing. The church is not a salvation army. It ought not to be. But sometimes... People load our front counter up here with junk. Sometimes it's pretty good stuff. And, you know, like last week we had some, someone uh, put up there a case of uh, 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 antioxidant things. And, boy, that went. And everybody was really bust about that. But other times, you know, you just you wonder, where does this stuff come from? The basement uh, in a box that's been submerged in water? You know, it just ought not to be. Bring the best. That's my, that's my encouragement to you. Think of who you're giving it to. Is it a sacrifice? Are you just giving it out of convenience, or does it hurt a little bit? Sometimes the best worship is when it hurts a little bit, and that includes our giving. I can give because it's convenient, and I give, and it, it's just a transaction every week. And sometimes the Lord will, will challenge us you know, to, to do a little bit extra in helping somebody else out and also keeping our, what we normally tithe. You know, because some people say, well, I did this over here, so that kind of takes the portion of my tithe. And, and the Lord's been challenging us on that too at times. No, continue to give what you're going to give and then continue to help these, help something else out over here. Does that make sense? And I think in that it, it, it honors the Lord. I'm not saying I'm a shining example of anything, but I will say that sometimes that sacrifice means a lot more to the Lord, and we get bust as a result. And then we see that God, his hand is not shortened to meet my needs, to meet our, my family's needs and he'll be the same with you. But we can see in this section here, concerning the firstborn animals, we can see it's foreshadowing Jesus as the Passover lamb, because that's really where we're going next. And, and it speaks of Jesus being the Passover lamb. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he says, you were not redeemed, Peter says, with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, here it is, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, notice, without blemish and without spot. Without blemish and without spot. And you recall in Acts chapter 8, remember when Philip, the evangelist, he was a deacon, a spirit-filled deacon, and this guy was amazing. One time the Lord told him to go down south and, and and, and he met this Ethiopian eunuch on his way back from Jerusalem, going back to Ethiopia. And he was a very wealthy—he served a Candace, the, the, the queen of Ethiopia, and he was her treasurer. And so this man was of some worth, and Philip meets him, and, and he runs up to him and hops in his chariot. And so Philip ran to him, and it says—and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and, and, and says, Do you understand what you are reading, Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch? And he said, How can I, unless someone guide me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And notice what Philip did. Philip said to him, opened his mouth, and began at this scripture, and he preached Jesus to him. Isaiah 53. Some people call that the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. Even today, to get a Jewish person to look at Isaiah 53 and to try to convince them that this is Christ that this prophet is talking about, some 700 years before he was even born, prophesying of what the suffering servant would go through. He's speaking very clearly of Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and we're getting into that right now, or in just a moment, actually. (laughs) You may eat of it, verse 22, within your gates. The unclean and the clean person may eat it, as if it were a gazelle or a deer, because those are, remember, clean animals. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. But only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. And see, God has always prohibited the eating or drinking of blood. And the reason being, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, it says this, after the flood, God told them that they could eat anything. In fact, he says it here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, everything that moves shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is the blood, God's concern about blood. And it's for good reason, the life is in the blood, and it's the very blood that redeems us. The blood of Christ, the very blood of God, redeemed us. The blood of the Lamb taken away, who takes away the sin of the world. All sin. In Leviticus chapter 17, beginning in verse 10, it says this, it says, And whatever you, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood." And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. I think God has has got a problem with us drinking or eating blood. And, you know, even James, if you remember, in Acts chapter 15, when Peter and Paul, as they were ministering and the Gentiles were getting saved, they, they, they basically told them, you know, we're not going to put on them any yoke, but we're going to tell them to stay away from fornication, stay away from things strangled, and from eating blood. Those, those are just a handful of things. Stay away from that stuff. Finally, we get into verse 16, and that section was a great uh, preview for coming into this chapter because notice it says, observe. uh, Let's actually read the first eight verses of this. He says, observe the month of Aviv. It looks like Abib. Abib. Looks like Abib. But it's Aviv, is how they pronounced it. And keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd. Notice, in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name there, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, That with it that is, the bread of affliction, For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for how many days? For seven days. Nor shall any of you eat meat with which you sacrificed the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. So you had to eat all of it or burn what was remainder. You may not sacrifice... The Passover, within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place, notice, where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And there you may sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun. At the same, or at the time, you came out of Egypt. And you shall roast it and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses, (laughs) emphasis mine, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. In six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work in it. So when we go back to verse 1 there, this month of of, of Aviv is uh, actually, uh, it corresponds, it's the very first month in the Jewish calendar, and it corresponds to our March and April time frame. And that's usually when we have our Good Friday service, right? And our uh, uh, Resurrection Day, Easter, right? It, it, because the Passover is when that happened, right? Everybody follow me? Because on Friday or Thursday night, however you want to think of it, uh, Jesus was crucified. We call that Good Friday. And then three days later is Sunday, right? And that's the what we call... In our culture, Easter Sunday—it's Resurrection Day—and it corresponds to this. Because of this, and the names, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover; those cha- those names were used interchangeably. So, a lot of times, when you're reading in the Bible, you'll see where it talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but really, it's 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 Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Sometimes they would call it one or the other, but it included both because the, the Passover was like the kickoff <laughs> to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Does that make sense? So even if you read it in the Bible and it talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you can assume that Passover was the very first thing, the Passover lamb, and then seven days where they would not eat any unleavened bread. And I love the, the picture and the type that that is. I mean, think about it. If you're a person who is caught up in your works, and your work's related, your work's orientated, you may be, you know, if you're a legalistic type of person, the concept of this will drive you crazy. Because the death happened first. The lamb was sacrificed first, covering the sin, right? Now, as a result of that lamb dying in your place, put away the sin, put away the leaven. Leaven always speaks of, yeast and yeast when you put yeast in dough what does yeast do just a little bit of it you can put it in the dough and it causes the dough to expand we use that to make breads and pizza doughs and all those kinds of things but an unleavened dough is flat you had flat thin thin crust pizza that's what it is there's just very little or no yeast in it at all and they would have these unleavened cakes that they would make they'd be very thin and probably didn't taste very good or tasted okay but a little bit different So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, the terms were used interchangeably. But let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. Even though we all know what this is about, I think it's good for us to go back and just quickly look through Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 20 verses, and we're going to take little stops along the way and look at a few things. In Exodus chapter 12, it talks about the Passover when it occurred the very first time. Because remember, this whole book of Deuteronomy is, if you have a, a new King James Version Bible, it says the Passover reviewed. These three feasts that we're going to cover tonight are a review. That's a review because all these things have been shown to them back in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. So this is a review for this new generation that's about ready to go in and inherit the promised land, right? Because all the old, the the parents who died in the desert from their unbelief, that generation's gone. Now this new generation is on the cusp of going into the promised land. Moses, again, sharing with them these principles. Don't forget this. Don't forget this, he's telling them. And this is what it's about. Remember. So in Exodus chapter 12, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, every man shall make for himself or take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. And here it is, verse 5, notice, your lamb shall be without blemish. There's the requirement. It has to be a lamb without blemish and a male of the first year. So you better examine this male lamb of the first year. Not just any lamb will do. If he's lame at all, if he's blind, if he's got spots in him, that he's got a crooked leg, a bent ear, a funny-looking eye, you can't use him to sacrifice to the Lord. He's got to be flawless, okay? The lamb of God, the lamb or the goat, had to be inspected or examined for blemishes. And I want to bring your attention and and, and correlate this to Jesus because when you look at the Old Testament, every page, if you look at it carefully, speaks of Christ somehow and some facet of his character, of his mission here on earth, something about him. And I'd have for you to turn with me, if you could, to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 24. And just for the sake of time you can You can go there if you want, or I can just begin reading, but write the write matthew twenty seven verses fifteen through twenty four down because just as they had to inspect this lamb, this male lamb of the first year, Jesus also was inspected, he was examined carefully, and we're going to see that in matthew twenty seven beginning in verse fifteen, if you remember as Jesus was going through this mock trial, this illegal trial of his um, capture uh, illegally. It says, now, at the feast, of the, uh, uh, at the, feast the governor was accu- accustomed to releasing to the multitude. This is during the Passover time. At the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. (laughs) While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his Bema seat, literally, that's what that means. While he was sitting on his judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man. Here is one aspect of his examination. He was being examined and God was giving to this woman a dream, the, the understanding that this man is innocent. Jesus was being examined. Even by this ruler's wife, Pilate's wife comes to, her, comes to him and says, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Christ, with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? Even Pilate, this despicable man, <laughs> could look at Jesus as he was interrogating them, in him in the, in the judgment hall. Had nothing against him. He had nothing to accuse him worthy of death. When Pilate saw that he could not um, prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, and he says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. In other words, I want nothing to do with this. This man doesn't deserve death, but if that's what you want, then here he is. He released him, spineless, <laughs> he, appeasing the crowd is what he did. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to be crucified. Or then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Notice, Jesus was examined, and he was not found to be worthy of death. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. This is really interesting. The Lord just showed me this today, and I was so excited. In, in Luke's gospel, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel is the only one of the four gospels that has Jesus going before Herod. The other ones don't talk about this one incident where he was going from Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate. Luke is the only one who tells us this specific fact of what happened after he was sent to Pilate. He also went to Herod. And Herod is going to examine him, and we're going to see that here. And it says, we're going to look at verse 6, uh, verse six of Luke chapter 23. It says, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if, uh, if the man were a Galilean, if Jesus was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, this is called a political hot potato, by the way. So he hands him off to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard many things about him and hoped to see some miracle done by him. Herod wanted to be entertained. Show me a miracle. Can you make a bird just disappear? Can you make a frog in the midair just vanish? Can you turn this empty glass that I have into the best wine? Herod wanted to be entertained Jesus would have none of it. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing, notice. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a Gorgeous robe, uh, gorgeous robe, and he sent him back to Pilate. And the very day Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, going on to verse 13. And notice then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, he said to them, "You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Look at verse 14 and the word "examined." The word "examined" is a Greek word. That it's Anacrino, and this is what is so cool, and this is what the Lord showed me today, because this, this word literally means to, to examine or to judge or to interrogate or investigate, but it also means to determine and the excellence or defects of any person or thing. And it brought me right back to what we were talking about in the Passover lamb. He had to be inspected. He had to be be examined. And Jesus, as well, was examined. And the Lord made sure that even the Greek word was the same kind of thing. And it only happens once. This word is only once in the Gospels. And it's right here where it says examined. He was examined by Herod. Pretty interesting. We don't have time to go any further into, um, actually, we we need to, <laughs> so we will. It says in verse 6 now, we're back in uh, Exodus chapter 12, continuing on now in verse 6. We just finished verse 5. It says, now you shall keep it, the Passover lamb, until the 14th day, so you have it for four days, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintels of the houses where they ate. And so you remember this, this event very well. The night that they
0: were to... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the Radio and Sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. Truth in Christ.